Good morning. How's everybody doing? Thank you for braving the weather again, even though it's not so bad. It all had her this morning. But according to the weatherman, as uh, Jim Carrey would put it, the weather this week is supposed to be B-E-A beautiful. So we're looking forward to that. <laughs> Just a quick announcement. Uh, there's going to be a deacons meeting this Wednesday night following class. So again, that's open up to the entire congregation. So if you'd like to attend, please do so. And, of course, this is an expository teaching where we go through the different books of the Bible verse by verse. And each Sunday we hand out our grace and actions, which contain a summary of the prior week's teaching, as well as class notes for you to follow along this morning. And also, before we begin our Bible study this morning, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be sure we're in fellowship with the Father. We do this by taking a moment of silence, allowing time for each one of us to privately confess any known sins to the Father. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for this day that we may assemble together as fellow members of the body of Christ and study your almighty word. We give thanks for every individual you have led to your service here this morning, those among us in the chapel, those listening on the internet, and for anyone who may hear this message at a later date. Thank you for our current study of Romans. We pray this service draws us closer to you and that you open our hearts and minds that we may hear what the Spirit has to say to us this morning. May we take what we have learned and apply it to our daily lives. Challenge us to extract our spiritual nourishment and to grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior. We ask that you continue to bring us wisdom and give us strength and perseverance in our trials. Help each one of us to learn the liberty of grace, freeing us from legalism, works, and fears attacking us daily, always keeping you in thought and prayer, bringing glory to you. Thank you for, for providing us with every spiritual blessing. We thank you for the precious gift of your Son, providing us forgiveness of our sins and our so great salvation. We also give thanks for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, serving as our mentor and teacher, and bringing your word alive for us. Thank you, Father, for the blessings and answered prayers of this ministry. Thank you for the provisions of this building in which to meet on a consistent basis. We also give thanks for the individuals you've raised up in their positive volition to this doctrinal ministry, giving of their time, talent, and treasure. Continue to open doors of opportunity for this ministry to proclaim the gospel message to the world. Thank you for the gift of our pastor and his faithfulness and dedication to teaching your word. Supply him his spiritual and temporal needs. Grant him encouragement through your word. Offer him protection from the attacks of the enemy. And give grace to him that your message is spoken with accuracy and clarity, delivering your full counsel. We thank you for the blessings and privileges we have in the United States. We pray for our leaders, our president, vice president, and cabinet members. Give them wisdom, moral courage, and conviction in leading this nation according to your will. Thank you for the men and women in military service. Give them each courage, strength, and knowledge to fight the battle abroad, keeping our nation safe, knowing you are in full control. Thank you for those providing local services, such as law enforcement, firefighters, and EMTs, and others who commit to our safety and security here at home. We pray for those who may be experiencing trials and tribulations at this time, whether it is health, financial, or anything that may be troubling, lead them to your word for comfort and to continue forward in faith. Father, allow each one of us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction, let us be thoughtful and considerate and do nothing to disturb or distract those who are serious students of the Word of God. Father, we thank you for who and what you are. May honor and glory be yours. We offer you these prayers upon the merits of Christ, aware of being in union with him is seated at your right hand. In his glorious name we pray. Amen. Would you please rise? Majesty, worship his majesty, unto Jesus be our glory, honor, and praise. Majesty, kingdom authority, flow from his throne unto his own, his anthem raise. So we exalt. Lift up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus the King. Majesty, 
worship his majesty unto Jesus be our glory honor and praise majesty kingdom authority flow from his throne unto his own his anthem raise so exalt Lift up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus the King. Oh, majesty, worship his majesty. Unto Jesus be our glory, honor, and praise. Oh, majesty, kingdom authority, flow from his throne unto his own, his anthem raise. Flow from his throne unto his own, his anthem raise. You took the fall 
All right, good morning to all of you. Could you turn your Bibles to the book of Romans? Romans chapter 15, verse 22. Romans chapter 15, verse 22. This morning we're going to be covering uh, Romans 15, 22 to the first statement in verse 24. And we're going to find out in these verses that Paul reveals or informs the believers in Rome that he confidently expects to visit them whenever the Holy Spirit permits him to travel to Spain. Now let's give you a little quick background on what's going on at this point in the passage. We see the Apostle Paul's writing this epistle in 57 AD from the city of Corinth. And that's going to be his jumping off point because he's poised in the spring. He's going to bring a gift from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia, those provinces. He's going to take a gift, which is monetary and material, to the poor Jewish saints in Jerusalem who were poor because of their persecution. They were kicked out of the synagogues because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So he's going to deliver that, knowing full well that he's going to be facing problems and difficulties, and all the while the Holy Spirit is telling him to go ahead and do that. We see that in the book of Acts, Acts 19, those cha- 19, 20, and 21. Those chapters revealed that. And of course, as we'll see, Paul, once he delivers that gift, he's, his next step is to go to Rome, and then he's going to go to Spain. That's his ultimate destination, Spain, the western extremity of the Roman Empire. What is he going to do there? He church plants. That's his job as apostle to the Gentiles. He's going to go to the major population centers in the Roman Empire from Jerusalem to Illyricum, and he is going to give them the gospel. And that's what he did for 20 years. Paul was saved in approximately 35, 36, 37 AD, around there. And he's writing this epistle from Corinth, 57 AD. Do the math. 20 years, two decades, pretty much two decades, he was proclaiming the gospel. He was going from the different major uh, population centers in the Roman Empire, giving them the gospel, establishing churches, and then moving on. Sending letters, emissaries like Timothy and Titus and Tychicus and Epaphroditus to check on these churches that he established. And so we see that Paul is ready to make a next step in his ministry. Actually, he's going to close a chapter in his ministry to the Gentiles. He's going to drop off this gift as a token of the Gentile churches that he established, those churches that were Gentile that he established, this gift that he's delivering is a token of their unity and of their solidarity because there was a racial problem in in the early first century church between the Jewish and Gentile believers. And we study that in the book of Romans. So here's Paul going to deliver this gift. He knows he's going to get trouble because there's a lot of people who do not like the Apostle Paul that think he's a traitor. A lot of Jewish people thought he was a traitor. Remember, he was the top celebrity in Judaism. He so much so that he persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. Then he gets converted to Christianity and then he becomes the enemy of the state of Israel. He loved the nation of Israel. He loved his country. But his country did not love him. 
And so he was a man without a country. And Jesus Christ told them right after his say, uh, right after his conversion to go to the Gentiles. They will not accept your testimony in Jerusalem. Now, it's this point of his life now that he writes this epistle that the Lord's allowing him to go to Jerusalem, but he's going to get incarcerated there. He's going to suffer greatly. In fact, as, as we see the book of Acts records, he languishes in prison in Judea and Caesarea for three years. And then he finally gets to Rome because he appealed to Caesar his case. He was unjustly incarcerated. And in, from 60, 61 and 62 AD, he spent his time in the city of Rome. Church history says that after he left of the city of uh, Rome, he went on to Spain and evangelized Spain. And he, he, and he was able to do that because of the prayers of the, of the Roman believers. He asked them to pray for him, that he would get there safely, that he would be delivered from the disobedient in Judea, that he would be delivered safely into Rome, and he was, of course, as with a military escort. So we see the Apostle Paul is writing to us in Romans 15, verses 22 to 24, that's the setting that we find Paul at this particular time. We're getting, excuse me, we're getting insight into the Apostle Paul and his ministry. And the, the things that we can pull out is we can look at the dedication and devotion of the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> Remember, Scripture is beneficial to all of us. But Scripture is not always directed personally to our own particular particular situation, our own specific uh, circumstances. However, we can derive some application out of the things that we learn from Paul, even though these things weren't written to us directly. One of the things that I gathered from this thing, and this is what I do when I study, I learn and I give it to you what I've learned. And one of the things I've learned about Paul is his dedication and devotion. He is so dedicated and devoted that when you read this passage that we're going to read, he never mentions about going home. Think about that. He never ever mentions about going home and seeing his family. He is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why. He's got a job to do. And home for him, like all Christians, whether they know it or not, is heaven. And his work is not done. And his job is not done until the Lord Jesus Christ says so. So this is what we're going to be studying about Paul. He tells the Roman believers in, and uh, the believers in Rome that he confidently expects to visit them whenever the Holy Spirit permits him to travel to Spain. So the Holy Spirit was governing his life. The Holy Spirit governs the life of the believer. That's why we're told in Scripture, in Ephesians 4.30, and 1 Thessalonians 5.19, and Acts, in the book of Acts with Ananias and Sapphira. We're not to grieve, we're not to quench, and we're not to lie to the Holy Spirit, who speaks to us through this, the teaching of the Word of God. He also speaks to us through the, the godly viewpoint of other Christians, and he also speaks to us through circumstances. Yes, he does. He speaks to us through circumstances. Certain situations come in and the Spirit is speaking to the church. So look at Romans 15, 14. Let's pick it up there. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, Paul writes to the Roman believers, I myself am also convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. How did he know that? He got reports from the people he mentions in Acts uh, Romans 16. But I have written, why, then, why do you write to us then, Paul? But I have written very boldly to you on some points. He was commanding them and prohibiting from them from doing things, and he wasn't even their pastor, and he, not, he, not even, he didn't even st uh, start the church there. But he was an apostle, and he had that authority. He could do that. So a pastor, an apostle could supersedes the authority of a pastor. Of course, we have no more apostles around today. So what I've written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore... In Christ Jesus, on the basis of my servanthood to Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting and things pertaining to God. The Lord's business is mentioned in verse 16. For I will never presume to speak of anything except what Christ accomplished through me. All the success he had spiritually had to do with Christ working through him in the power of the Spirit. Paul did not consider himself a success because he had a big bus ministry or he had a lot of people in his congregation. He didn't, have a, he didn't consider his ministry a success or a failure by the reaction of people or by the negative or positive reaction. He had fruit 
and he benefited, many people benefited from his ministry. They were saved from his ministry and they were also grown to a certain level of maturity because of his ministry. So he goes on to say, resulting, he says, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. And then he explains in verse 19, and the power of signs and wonders and the power of the spirit so that from Jerusalem, that's where he got his commission from the Lord and round about as far as Illyricum, the northern extremity of the Roman Empire in the first century, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. That means he fulfilled the task which Christ had given to him. From Jerusalem to Illyricum, in two decades, he did this. Now he's going to finish it all off by delivering a gift, and then he's going to head to Spain, but on the way to Spain, he'll stop in Rome. Rome is not his ultimate destination. Spain is, because he needs to give the gospel out there. They don't know about Jesus of Nazareth, that if faith through faith in him, and faith alone in Christ alone, you can get saved. They didn't know that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, that he died and rose again. They didn't know that. They had to be told that. And that's what his ultimate destination is. That's the key. That statement there in verse 19 is key. Because that tells us that now that he's finished the task of proclaiming the gospel from in these regions, in two, sm- two short decades, we see that now he's ready to move on. That's what he's saying. Now I'm ready to do something else. Now look at verse 20. And thus I aspired. My ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. He's not being prideful there, as men would think it. He's actually saying, I don't want to waste effort. Some John's already been there, the apostle John, Peter. Why waste effort? Why repeat another man's work? They already planted that church. I need to move on to some place where they haven't heard Christ. That's why he's saying that. Then he gives scripture to support his ministry. The fact that he has a ministry of the Gentiles is predicted in the Old Testament. The fact that you and I, as Gentile believers, are mentioned in Old Testament scripture, and here by Paul, that we would believe in Jesus Christ, that we would worship him, was predicted in the Old Testament. We are a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, people. We are the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It says right there in verse 21, But as it is written, They who had no news of him, Jesus, shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. It speaks of faith in him. Then he says in verse 22, for this reason, for this reason, because I was busy doing the work of the Lord and getting the gospel out, for this reason, because I worked from Jerusalem to Illyricum, proclaiming the the, the, the one and only Christ, and we studied last week in 2 Corinthians 11 that he went through more adversity, more trouble, more persecutions, more heartache, more desperation than any man that has ever lived on the face of the earth, more than any other Christian. And he did it because of his love for the Lord, as we saw Sunday, last Sunday. Then he goes on to say, for I, verse 22, for this reason, I've often been prevented from coming to you. Many times he wanted to get there, but he had work to do. Then he says, but now, with no further place for me in these regions... And from Jerusalem to Illyricum, those Roman provinces. And since I had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, he says, and to be helped on my way there by you when I first enjoyed your company for a while. Now, verse 22 is connected to that last statement in verse 19 that I pointed out. I fully preached the gospel of Christ. This verse is connected to verse 19, the very end of it. And it indicates that Paul had often been prevented these many times from visiting the Roman believers in the past because he was concentrating on fulfilling the task of proclaiming the gospel from Jerusalem circuitously as far as Illyricum. When he says, I've often been prevented from coming to you, that means that Paul's desired visit to Rome was delayed by the fact that he'd been concentrating on fulfilling that task of proclaiming the gospel about the one and only Christ. So verse 22, people, we see that Paul relates to his readers in Rome that as a result of concentrating on this task of proclaiming the gospel throughout the Roman Empire, he had been habitually delayed many times from entering into their company. Now, if you look at, if you look at verse 22, he says, but he says, for this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you, but now, 
with no further place for me in these regions. And listen, he says, and because I've had for many years a longing to come to you. That means that word longing talks about a passionate desire. It's an emotional response that Paul has to the Roman believers whom he never met. He fell in love with them through letters and correspondence from people that he mentions in Romans 16. You ever see the movie? You, we mentioned it this week. You've got mail. Tom Hanks and uh, who's the cute little blonde there? Who's Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan. She always plays those parts. And they would never met each other, but they got correspondence through email, right? They fell in love with you. Soul attraction happened. Well, Paul fell in love with these people, though he never met them. And he wanted to be there to see them. But don't miss this. This is what I tell you. That this is written about Paul, it's autobiographical. He's telling the Romans this, but what can this what is the Spirit telling us about Paul that we can derive? What is the Spirit saying? Paul would not as, let his emotional attachment to people get in the way of doing the Lord's work. Do not make decisions based upon your emotions or how you feel. Because emotions can lie. Even if it's legitimate. Hey, how many times did I want to say, I'm gone, I want to go see my family, I am so miss them so much. I can't do that. I'm tied here because of my love for the Lord, I'm a soldier of Christ Jesus, and I cannot leave until the job is done. I will never leave until the job is done. Until he says so. You can't go by on your emotions on everything. Some people, they just don't get that. You can't be that way. You're never going to grow up spiritually if you're like that. Hey, look at his little kids in the natural. Take your own kids. Kids, they're governed by their emotions. they got to be trained to think right and to act right. They have to be trained that way. If you let a kid go by his emotions, the kid will run roughshod over your home and he'll end up killing himself. Your job as a parent is to train them to not live by their emotions. To not go by how they feel all the time. That's why people leave marriages. I can't handle it. I'm gone. There'd be no marriages left if every, every time my mother wanted to get rid of my father, we would have been homeless. Or the vice versa. I think it was more the other way. My mother would get rid of him. But the, see, you can't go on emotion. See, Paul is saying, I have, I am not going to Rome to see you people. I love you people. Man, you guys are a great church. I'm hearing so many good things. I really want to go there and get refreshed and relax a little bit. But you know what? I can't do that. I got work to do. I got to go for, I got to go and deliver a gift and then I got to go to, and then I'll hit you guys. But ultimately, I only stop to see you guys because I got to go to Rome. I got to go to Spain, excuse me. I have to go to Spain. That's my ultimate destination. I got to be about the Lord's business. So what are you doing? Play poker. What are you doing for the Lord? Play poker. Think about it. Think about it. Spirit's talking to all of us. I sit in my study and I go, what am I doing? Am I doing everything I can for the Lord? Am I giving everything I can like the Apostle Paul did? Didn't, don't you see? Paul loved the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and his neighbor is himself. He loved them. We can't be, we can't, we, we need to ask ourselves, are we full out for the Lord? Are we doing everything we can? And some can say yes, and some, if they're honest, can say, no, I haven't. And we've all at some point have said, yeah, we haven't. The growth to spiritual maturity is very painful sometimes, people. I remember many times that my pastor, who I got ordained from, mentioned, saying these very same things. I sound, I, you ever hear when a, when a guy says, oh, I sound like my dad? Now I sound like the guy I got ordained from so many times. I, geez, I sound just like him. You know, you have to say, am I loving the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And what does that mean? Do you love him? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15. Now, you'd have to know his commandments to love them. You can't obey something you don't know. So the first step is learning your Bibles like you're doing right now. Every day, you should have sanctified time. When you're not here, you should be studying your Bible. Have some certain time to pray and study every day. Make the time. Make the time. Shut the TV off. Make the time. Make the time. No more excuses. You're not going to be able to give an excuse to the Lord. Paul knew that. Paul leaves us an example to follow. When I look at this passage, I see this guy was sold out for Jesus. 
He didn't talk about it. He didn't need a bumper sticker on his back of his, his, uh, his horse or his donkey saying, I'm for Jesus. You know? He didn't have that. He didn't have it branded on his horse or his donkey or thing like that, or a sticker on his cart. He lived it. He wasn't a talker. He lived. This is what he did. Now, Romans 15, 23. Paul presents two reasons why he confidently expects to visit his readers in Rome while passing through, whenever he is allowed by the Spirit to travel to Spain. Now, look at verse 23. But now, with no further place for me in these regions... And since I've had for many years a longing to come to you, that statement presents a contrast with the result clause at the end of verse 19. Romans 15, 19, the last statement, my translation on the board, consequently from Jerusalem and circuitously as far as Illyricum, I have fulfilled the task of proclaiming the gospel about the one and only Christ. I've done the job. So thus we can see in verse 23 here, that contrasts Paul's circumstances in the past when he was busy concentrating upon fulfilling the task of proclaiming the gospel from Jerusalem as far as Illyricum with his present circumstances in which he had completed the task. When he says, with no further place for me in these regions, that means that because Paul had no further opportunity of planting a church from Jerusalem to Illyricum, he in fact confidently expected to visit the Roman believers because he fulfilled the task of planting churches in these regions according to what he just said in verse 19. Now, in these regions, that refers to the provinces in the Roman Empire, in Paul's day, that extended from Jerusalem as far as Illyricum. So when Paul says this here, if you look at verse 23, those two reasons that he gives are actually connected to the the first statement in verse 24. Look at verse 23. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I've had for many years a longing to come to you, and, 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 what are you saying to me? Look at the next statement, it's connected. Whenever I go to Spain... For I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. So when he says, for I hope to see you in passing, that's connected to verse 23. And those two verses are giving reasons why he hopes to see them in passing. So Paul's statement there in verse 23, that he no longer possessed an opportunity to proclaim the gospel in the Roman Empire, the Roman provinces extending from Jerusalem to Illyricum, presents the first reason why he's confident that he will visit the Roman believers. When Paul says that he no longer possessed an opportunity in the Roman provinces, which extended from Jerusalem to Illyricum, he doesn't mean, people, that he couldn't teach or proclaim the gospel anymore in these regions. Rather, he means that there was no opportunity for the specific ministry of planting a church where the gospel had never been proclaimed before. Now, when he says, since I've had for many years a longing to come to you, That indicates that because Paul possessed a passionate desire to visit the Romans, in addition to no longer having an opportunity to plant the church in the Roman Roman provinces, he in fact confidently expected to visit the Roman believers. So when he says in verse 23, if you could look at that verse again, in Romans 15, 23, he says, but now, and we can throw because in there because it's a causal clause, because there's no further place in these regions, why? I fulfilled the task of proclaiming the gospel in these regions. And here's the other reason. And since, that brings out the causal idea, and because I've had for many years a longing to come to you, for whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing. So what he's saying is, I hope to see you. In fact, we'll see hope means confidence. I'm confident that I'm going to see you. There's two reasons why he has confidence that he's going to see them. They're mentioned in verse 23. One, I've done what I'm supposed to do. I've finished the job. And also... I, love, I want to see you. That's my personal selfish interest. But the, most, the one that supersedes, the interest that supersedes everything, is the interest of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's about the Lord Jesus Christ's interest. Now, in verse 24, this first statement in verse 24 that we've been reading, Paul writes that he confidently expects to visit his readers in Rome while passing through whenever he's permitted by the Holy Spirit to travel to Spain. Look at verse 24. Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I first enjoyed your company. Now that statement there, the the clause that says, whenever I go to Spain, it's what we call an indefinite temporal clause. It indicates that Paul will travel to Spain when he is permitted by the Spirit and the will of God is indicated by the prepositional phrase, by the will of God that appears in verse 32. Look at verse uh, 22. Let me show it to you. Let's read it in its context. Look at verse 22. 
Paul says, for this reason, I've often prevented from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions, and because I've had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. Again, about the Lord's business, serving God's people, doing the Lord's business. Those who are doing the Lord's business are serving God's people. For Macedonia and Achaia, the believers there, the churches he started, have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so. They're indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, and the Greek says they have, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this, and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go by way of you to Spain. Got to do this job first. Got to do the Lord's business first. I got to serve God's people's for, people first before I do what I like to do. Then verse 29. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now look what he says in verse 30. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. You should always pray. Paul solicited their prayers. You should always pray for your pastor. If you don't, you're shooting yourself in your own foot. Pray for your pastor. And thank you for those who do. Verse 31. Then I, why do you want to pray? That I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. And that happened. Acts 22 records that. And that my service for Jerusalem may prove, prove acceptable to the saints. And that was recorded in Acts as being taking place. Then he says in verse 32. So that I might, so he says, so that I might come to you. I want you to pray for me so that I might come to you in joy. How? By the will of God. And find refreshing rest in your company. How do you know about the will of God, people? How do you know the Spirit speaks to us about the will of God? How do you know you're doing God's will? How do you know that you're supposed to marry the person that you're married to? How do you know where you're supposed to be and who you're supposed to study under? How do you know which church you're supposed to go to? How do you know where you're called? How do you know what God's will is for your life? How do you know? Through the Word of God. The Spirit of God speaks to you through the Word of God. And the Spirit also speaks to us through people who have knowledge of the Word of God in their head and apply it. Okay? And not, it's, it's not, it, they're not governed by their emotions. Their thought is renovated by the Spirit, which we're supposed to do in Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? Renovating our minds. So the Spirit will also speak to us through circumstances. Hey, many people, disasters happen in this country. I think, I know. This is what God does in the tribulation. Disasters take place, wake up some people. When are you going to wake up? God, if you're an unsafe person, first thing you're thinking is a disaster takes place, whether national or personal or whatever, the first thing you should, they should be thinking about, God's trying to talk to me. In fact, they don't want to admit it, but they do. They, do, they are being talked to by God. Because this disaster you're facing now is going to be worse than the lake of fire. Sometimes he's talking to Christians. Wake up before it's too late. Wake up. Sometimes he does that to people. Why? Because he's a brute? No, because he loves you and he loves me. It's good to get a wake-up call every now and then. Hey, any good team who has a good coach, they always get wake-up calls. Teams have a tendency to fall asleep, get lackadaisical. Pastor has to do that with his congregation. Oh, yeah. And some believers who know they're in the plan of God because the Spirit confirms that. The Spirit is confirming to them, keep it up. And the adversity that they face is only advancing them to further growth, spiritual maturity. We're always going to be challenged by God. Everything we learn is going to have to be applied. We learned about love and forgiveness how many times? Now we have to apply it. We learned about perseverance. Now we have to apply it. We have to look out the end for the interests of others rather than ourselves. Now we have to apply it. And some will fail and some will be succeeding. God gives us a free will, a volition. It's up to you. So Paul, by the will of God, I can't go anywhere, he's saying, unless it's by the will of God. And he was very sensitive to the Spirit. So if you develop a sensitivity to the Spirit, people, it's not by some hocus-pocus. I laugh at some people who say, the, you know, uh, the Spirit told me I have to wear a hat. Well, that's because you have a bad interpretation of the passage. A woman, a, a, a woman is supposed to have a covering over her head. If you read the passage, it says along here's the covering. 
And they had a problem with the cross-gendered thing dressing in Corinth like they do today. And women had, women had, uh, had a long hair. That was a sign of their submission to God. Okay? I bring this issue up because somebody said that they believed that the Spirit was talking to them, that they had to wear a hat. They had a bad interpretation of the Scriptures. So the Spirit, we can't hear the Spirit unless we have a proper interpretation of the Scriptures. And that takes discipline. It takes academic discipline, people. Technical language sometimes. Hey, every, I, I was talking to a far, couple of farmers here. There's a lot of technical language in farming. Carpentry. Plumbing. You name it, it, there's technical language. We have no problem with technical language there, but why is it when we come to Bible study we can't hear technical language? I'll tell you why. It's called tickling the ears. And we're warned about that. It's going to happen in the last days. We're here to be educated, to grow in the grace and knowledge. We're commanded in Second Peter, to read the end of that epistle, to grow in the grace and knowledge. I'm a teacher here to educate you about Jesus. And that, unfortunately, there's technical language in the Bible. Unfortunately, the Bible is not written in English. So I have to go back to the original language and tell you guys. I say this, you say I'm digressing. No, I'm going there for a reason. Because you can't understand what the Spirit is saying to you unless you know what the Bible says. Unless you know what the Bible says. So my job is to tell you the full counsel of God. To tell you the full counsel of God. To go into my study and then give it to you. That's how you know the will of God. See, why Paul was able to be so successful? Because he was in tune with the will of God. He wouldn't go anywhere unless the Spirit said to go. He heard things that the Spirit was telling him in the Scriptures. Go, like today we heard in Romans, Paul's dedication and devotion. The Spirit's telling all of us, be dedicated and devoted like Paul was. Be about the Lord's business. Don't let your emotions get away, get the best of you. You be governed by the will of God, not by how you feel. Because how you feel can be manipulated by the devil. Now, Spain. Where's Spain? He says in verse 24, whenever I go to Spain, Spain is a large peninsula in southwestern Europe, known since Roman times as Hispania. Let me give you the map on the board. I've seen this many times. Here in the bottom right-hand corner, you see the Arabian Desert, and then you have Jerusalem. Now, remember, Paul went north into Syria, and he, pre- he preached the gospel to the, the Greek-speaking Jews there in Antioch. That's the first place where Christians were called Christians. And then he made his way west into Cappadocia, Bithia, uh, uh, Bithynia, and also to Macedonia. That's where the Philippians were. South into Achaia, below Macedonia. That's where the Corinthians were. And that's where he wrote this epistle. And then he would go up into Illyricum, the northernmost extremity, right northeast of Italy. So he's been all over those regions. He worked, that's about 1,400 square miles, or the distance from Iowa to Massachusetts. And he went there, and not only did he do 1,400 miles, he went back and forth. He probably did 3,000 miles easy. Because he just, when he says circuitously, that big, that's not really a big word, but if you look it up, it just means that he was going from spot to spot, bouncing around. He wasn't going in a straight shot. So he was going about. That's, that's what he did. I did all that, he said. In two decades, he did. Now he's going to go to Rome, but he's going to use Rome as a jumping-off point because then he's got to go all the way, if you go to the, le- the left side of your map, Hispania. That peninsula is what he wants to do. They haven't heard of Jesus of Nazareth. Everybody in the world in our day and age, pretty, quite a bit, not everybody, but a quite, quite a bit of the world's population has some kind of information about Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, that he claimed to be the Son of God, and that he rose from the dead and in fulfillment of the Scriptures, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. So he came to tell them about that. And that was most important. He valued the souls of men. He had the same attitude that God has. Yes, the sinner's soul has been marred by sin, yet God created it in his image. And he values every one of our souls. Even the wickedest person that you know, including Hitler, including Stalin. God so loved the world. He didn't say, except for Adolf Hitler and Bill Wenstrom. No, he said the whole world. And Paul had that attitude. The whole world has to know about Jesus. So basically, Paul is an instrument in the hand of God. Just like all of you. 
If you take part in this ministry, whether you serve, you give, or you give your, your, you operate in your spiritual gift, you pray for this ministry, you've entered into this ministry of getting the gospel out. You're helping me get the gospel out to a lost and dying world. That's why we're here as a church. And that's why we're, one of the reasons why we're here is left on this earth to be, as individuals. One to grow to maturity and one to tell everybody about the gospel. So what are we doing about that? We, that's what we need to do, is focus on the task at hand. As a church, that's our goal, is to get the gospel out. Everything else is context. Don't be distracted by what the devil tries to do. Hey, we're not each other's enemies. The devil is our enemy. He's, how many times they said in Romans 14, we studied, and now we get tested for it. Seek and divide. That's what the kingdom of darkness would like to do. Our enemy is not flesh and blood, Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, a book we studied. It's the kingdom of darkness. Did I say how many times? He's not in the strip bars. He's not down at the bar at uh, Big Al's or whatever it's called now. You know where he is? He's in the churches trying to divide. Pentecostals, uh, born-again Catholics, uh, Presbyterian, Lutheran, non-denominational, doctrinal churches. He's dividing. And he's a pretty darn good, doing a pretty good job at it. Seek to divide. A house cannot stand if it's divided. That's the enemy. And I say that because he tries to stop me from doing what I'm doing. He's trying to distract me from what I'm trying to do. You, what you're supposed to do. He's trying to stop this dead in the water. You've got to be focused. You've got to be, you got to think about the task at hand. That's what Paul was about. He would let nothing, nobody stop him from getting the gospel out. So he's going to go to Spain. That's, that's a long way from home. Look at this. He's, he, he was born where? He was born over in, he was born way over here. He was born, he was, you can't even see it on the map. He was born in Tarsus, the Roman province of Asia. We can't see it on the map. And this is where he's going to end up in Hispania. And as I said before, there's no question, there's no talk of home in this whole chapter. Do you see that? He's, there's no place talking about home for him. He was like Jesus. There was no place to lay his head. You know where his home was? Hold your place. Go to Philippians chapter 3. There was no place for him to lay his head. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 20. There's a reason why he has nothing to talk about home. Philippians 3.20. Listen to it. Listen to what the Spirit's saying, people. Listen to them. For our citizenship is in heaven. That's where our home is, people. It's not Atkins, Iowa, or your home that you have somewhere in this area. Home is heaven. And Paul knew that. Verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for the Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at us. Back it up. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 6. 2 Corinthians 5, 6. Second Corinthians 5, 6. Therefore, Paul's talking about the resurrection body in this chapter. We read it at every funeral that I've ever done here. Look at verse 6, but I'm going to look at it from a different perspective here this morning. Look at verse 6. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and at home with the Lord. Because home for us as a Christian is where Jesus is. And Jesus is not on the earth right now. He sits at the right hand of the Father. My home, your home, whether you recognize it or not, and hopefully you do now, if you didn't know it already, is where Jesus is. I took you there because why? Paul knew that. He didn't talk about, there was no plans in his itinerary as we read this chapter this evening, this morning. I can't even get my times right. 
here this morning, there's no talk of home with this guy. There's no talk of going to see his family. What does that tell you? This guy loves the saints. This guy loves his Lord and Jesus Christ. He loves him. He backs it up. He walks the talk. He walks the talk, Paul does. It all talks about conduct. Not, he didn't say, okay, yeah, this is I love Jesus. No, he's proving it. And if you ask Paul, did he miss home? He probably he missed his family. Yeah, he probably said that. But you know what Paul's saying? That doesn't mean anything because in the big picture, my true family is with God's people and my job is to do the Lord's business. There'll be plenty of time for rest and then I can go home and be at rest in the arms of my Lord Jesus who loves me and gave himself up for me. Look at Romans fifteen twenty two again. We're coming near the end. Look at Romans fifteen twenty two. Romans fifteen twenty two. For this reason, I have often what reason? Because I was getting the gospel out from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Took him twenty years. I've done it already. He says in verse twenty, I finished the job. For this reason, I've often prevented from coming to you, Roman believers. But now, things have changed. With no further place for me in these regions, because I fulfilled the task of proclaiming the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum, and because I've had for many years a longing, a passionate desire to see you, to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way there by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Now, one of the great advantages, as I said Thursday, of going back to the original languages is you find out what the Spirit wrote. Because it says, hope there, I hope to see you. It doesn't mean hope, the way we think of hope. I hope Pam Anderson goes out on a date with me. Pam, would you like to go out to dinner with me? Bill, <laughs> get out of my face. See, I'm like, well, she might say yes, you never know. Oh, I hope, I hope Pam goes out. There's some doubt in there, right? There's some doubt. I hope the Red Sox win the World Series. Yeah. I hope the Celtics win. They didn't. I hope. I hope. You like that one, huh? I hope. There's doubt. But that's not what the Spirit said to Paul, through Paul. I hope there is El Piso. It means to confidently expect, thus indicating that Paul confidently expects to see the Roman believers while passing through whenever he is permitted by the Spirit and the will of the Father to go to Spain. This word expresses his spirit-inspired, confident expectation that he would see the Romans while on his way to Spain. Confidence is a lot, big, lot different than hope, isn't it? That's why we go back to the original. Bill, ask the question that I asked. Then why do the translations do that? Well, there's a couple of reasons. They got to sell Bibles. They got publishers. If they change faith, hope, and love, oh, and faith, hope, and confidence instead, somebody might not buy their Bibles. See, they have committees. And that's not to say these guys are, are, are not, uh, have integ- don't have integrity. They do. It's just that they are under constraints, too. They have things they have to deal with, too. But there are some, some guy. that's why God gives you a pastor, because I don't have to listen to a committee. I don't have to listen. I just have to do what the Spirit tells me to do and get it out there and to tell you what this word means. I, that's my job, is to tell, dig this out and tell you that. It's a big difference, right? I'm confident that I'm going to see you. How does he know that? The Spirit told him. So I confidently I hope, to see, I hope to see you. We could actually translate it, I confidently hope to see you. Now, in passing, indicates that Paul confidently expects to see the Roman believers while traveling or passing through Rome on his way to Spain. Rome is just going to be a stopover. I got to do the Lord's business. I got to serve the Lord. I got to get these people the gospel. They need to hear Jesus. They need to hear about it. They need to hear about him. That Paul eventually did make it to Spain is indicated by the fact that when he wrote Romans 15, 24, this A part, like he, he wrote it like he did the rest of the epistle while under the inspiration and guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, all scripture is God breathed. It's uh, men of God spoke by the Spirit of God. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen as well. All scripture is God breathed. So when he wrote this, he knew the Spirit had told him that he's going to get to Rome. How do we know he's going to get to Rome? He says, I'm confident I'm going to get this to Rome. Who made him write that? Who, who inspired him to write that? The Spirit. Just like he inspired all the human authors of Scripture to write. So Paul, told, the Spirit told him, you're going to go there. 
And you're going to go to Spain too. He is on his own, not on his own itinerary. He didn't make up, hey, learn another lesson from Paul. Paul's life was not governed. Paul's life and circumstances and situations, he didn't fit God into his schedule. God planned his schedule out. He fit his schedule, his life, around what God wanted. Not what he wanted or what he thought was important, but what the Lord thought was important. Think about that. He let the Spirit govern his life. And sometimes people, like Jesus, being led into the desert to face the devil, who led him there? Look for us as the Spirit did. Acts 19, 20 and 21. Paul, you're going to get to Jerusalem, but there's going to be chains for you. Imprisonment, suffering. He still went anyways. When Jesus went to the cross, he said to Peter, he said to all of them, he says, I will suffer at the hands of the Jewish leaders. They will mistreat him. He'll be crucified and die and raised from the dead. And Peter, Jesus, don't say that. That's never going to happen to you. No, no, no. Get behind me, Satan. Who was trying to keep, who was, Peter's emotions were getting away. He wasn't in, in the spirit, God. The devil was telling him, oh, that's, I mean, think about this. It was a legitimate thing that Paul, you know, Peter was like saying, you know, I, I love you, Lord. I don't want that to happen to you. But that was the Spirit's will for Jesus to go to the cross. So what we find out is that sometimes the Spirit will tell you to do things do things that you wish you never had to do. And I can vouch for that myself as a pastor. There's some things I said, I don't want to do this, and fought months with the Lord before I did something, knowing I'm going to get all kinds of grief at me. God's my witness. I knew that if I do say this certain thing, and I do a certain thing, it's probably going to be going to be bad for you, Bill. Well, what am I supposed to do? Say, oh, be a coward or stand up and do the right thing? That's what Jesus did. That's what Paul did. That's what the apostles did. They stood up and did the right thing, even though people didn't understand many times what they were doing. Paul, you're walking into a lion's den. What are you going to do that for? Spirit wants me to do it. This is God's will. I got to confront the kingdom of darkness. I got to confront the enemy. I'm breaking down barriers. The word of God, the sword of the spirit, I will carry with me into battle. And that's what he did. So Paul, he knew he was going to get there because the spirit was telling him to. How do we know that? Because the spirit inspired him to write this, like he did all scripture. The verb el piso, translated hope in your Bibles, expresses Paul's spirit-inspired confident expectation that he would see the Romans while on his way to Spain. The future, now the present tense of all the verbs there, they actually emphasize Paul's certainty that he will see the Roman believers face to face. You could see that in your English translations. You'd have to know Greek. It's a futuristic present of the verbs in there. Hope, poevama, theopoevama. These words are in the present tense, futuristic present. It talks about his certainty. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get to Spain. The word go, when he says, whenever I go to Spain, look at, look at verse 24. He says, whenever I go, go is in the futuristic present. He says, I'm certain I'm going to go. Hope, I'm confident I'm going to go. So he's talking about confidence here. He did get to Spain. He did get there. So the indefiniteness of Romans 15, 24 is not due to Paul being uncertain as to whether or not he will visit Rome, but rather this uncertainty is due to the fact that he does not know how long it will take him to finish with this task. Now, as I close, I want to say a few things. There are some things said here this morning. You have have two choices you can take. You can take them to heart and listen and know that they were said in love. Some things were very bold. But I love my congregation and I love my people. So I'm telling this to you. Things I challenge you with is because I love you. I will give my life for you. And have given my life for you. Because I care about you. I want the best for you. I'm your spiritual father and mother. Some of you are like my spiritual... I never had kids. But some of you are my spiritual children. I will do anything for you. I hope you know that. So the Spirit was speaking today. Let's take the things the Spirit said to heart. Let's not get mad. Let's be objective. And say, okay, okay, I need to do this, I need to do that. And some are being encouraged, some are instructed in righteousness, some, some are being rebuked. But that's all because of love. 
Jesus said, those who I rebuke, I love. If you didn't love your children, if you love your children, sometimes you have to be stern with your children because you care about them. You want the best for them. So remember that as we close here in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for all your people that are here and for those who are not. And we just lift up us all in this congregation that you would help us to remember what your son said to us before he went to the cross, to love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know you're my disciples. And this will give us unity, and this will continue to advance the cause of Christ here in Iowa. So help us all to see that, Father. Help us to derive from this lesson, from the example of the Apostle Paul, that we need to be dedicated and devoted, that we need to be sold out for Jesus, not one foot in the devil's world and one foot in God's plan, your plan. Help us to see that we need to be sold out. We need to be totally focused on the task at hand that you've given to us. And we thank you for this church that you brought together, people from all over different parts of eastern Iowa. Those are listening right now on Pal Talk in different parts of the world in Tasmania. I don't even know where that is, Australia area. Some people have actually dropped in from Africa and England on Pal Talk and hit our website from all around the world. They're part of our extended congregation too. And we thank you for bringing us all together and help us to see what a great thing we have here and not let lose sight of that fact and not let the devil get the victory or succeed. So, Father, we just pray that this lesson would be taken to our hearts would be with, with humility, that we would take, carefully consider what we've learned here this morning. So in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Could I just come forward for the Sunday morning offering, please? Okay, now is the time for us as a congregation to come together and uh, to meet the daily needs of this ministry, uh, not only to keep the lights on, to keep the air blowing, but also, uh, most importantly, to spread the gospel message throughout the world. So uh, let's bow our heads and prepare for offering. Heavenly Father, we pray for this offering that will be given out of love and appreciation for you and your Son, Jesus Christ, and all that you have done for us. Father, we thank you for those who take part in giving, as well as those who continue to offer their time and talent to meet the needs of this ministry. Thank you for the blessings and answered prayers of this church, allowing us to meet our daily needs and to continue to provide the gospel message to the world. Thank you, Father, for those in our service here this morning and for our extended congregation and, and their faithfulness and dedication to this ministry from around the world. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Little town of Bethlehem looks like another summer night. Above your deep and dreamless sleep, a giant star lights up the sky. While you're lying in the dark, there shines an Lasting light For the king has left his throne And is sleeping in a manger night Tonight Oh Bethlehem What you have missed While you were sleeping God became a man Stepped into your world today Oh Bethlehem You will go down in history As a city with no room For its king While you were sleeping While you were sleeping 
little town of Jerusalem looks like another Sunday night. The father gave his only son the way the truth of life had come, but there was no room for him in the world he came to save. Jerusalem, why you have missed while you were sleeping? The Savior of the world is dying on your cross today. Jerusalem, you will go down in history as a city with no room for its king while you were sleeping. While you were sleeping United States of America Looks like another sunny night As we sung to sleep by philosophies That save the trees and kill the children And while we're lying in the dark There's a shout heard across the eastern sky For the bridegroom has returned And has carried his bride away in the night In the night America, what will we miss while we are sleeping Will Jesus come again And leave us slumbering Where we lay America Will we go down In history As a nation with No room for Its king Will we be sleeping Will we be sleeping United States of America looks like another sunny night. Thank you. Have a good day.